So if you can tell us about the technology for Flex Solution. Yeah. Um, so at the core of what we do, we're solving real world problems with cutting edge robotics and, you know, taking that from nebulous down to what we've learned. There's all of these workers out there in fields like construction, inspection, heck, even ship maintenance, where they can see the problem. I got to tighten that fitting. I got to change that light bulb over a staircase or I got to inspect inside this manhole cover so they can see it, but they can't quite reach it. And if even if they could, they're in these dangerous or confined and just in inhospitable environments. So our solution to that is called the FlexBot. The FlexBot is a snake-like robot, one inch in diameter, that's made up of these rigid links. And every link has a camera and the ability to extend and rotate. And what this allows us to do is basically get into these spaces and then put a tool on the end, like a drill, a gripper, a sprayer, or even like thermal cameras, more advanced imaging. And so our initial, um, you know, first thing we're looking at is what if we took the equivalent of like a broom handle or a painter's pole and put three to five of these links on there. And so imagine, you know, just kind of like a snake that you're holding by the tail and you can steer it and get into those nooks and crannies and all the cameras would give you the images. So if you need to map something, you can look at it. And then you could put a tool on the end. So let's say even something as simple as you dropped your keys down the storm drain. You could stand there for 30 minutes trying to hook it out with some bubble gum and a coat hanger. Or you call the city, they show up with a flex spot, grab it, pick it up. Right? So that's one example. But really, even in like these manhole covers where you have all these high voltage systems, you got water on the ground. Water and electricity generally don't mix that well. So you don't want to jump in there. You can't just shove something because somebody decided to put a piece of equipment straight down. So you need a way to snake out and around. Well, that's where a flex spot could come in. And so initially we're really looking at this notion of assisting these skilled workers get where they need to get and do what they can't currently do. But then where we see the next steps going is as we learn from these problems, we can actually add autonomy and our ability to expand and brace. Think about if you were in a chimney and you need to climb and you put your back against the wall and you use your feet and your hands to slither up. Well, that's what our expansion allows is that we can form like the S shape and brace just like your elbows against the wall if you can envision that and climb up. And so we could climb walls, pipes, ducts, and actually move through these spaces. And so that's kind of the next step. But what I think is one of our biggest assets is affordability. Right now, your average service robot costs about $50,000, which leaves them relegated to, um, you know, basically warehouses, manufacturing plants, and good YouTube videos. So what we think and what we're able to do is drive that down by like more than 90%. So at less than a tenth of the cost of these existing systems, you could get your hands on a flex spot, which actually makes it feasible to put one of these in every work truck. And so we really see mass deployability as our, our biggest asset here, this notion of it's just a tool. And when we start small, it's a few thousand. But as we scale, because all we have to do is perfect this one link, and then we could sell you three links, five links. It's like Legos. You can attach them together. And so it basically becomes a mass producible power tool. And so we can drive that price point down and down and down towards even more people being able to get their hands on it. Similar to what we've seen in 
you know, home vacuum uh, robots or, or even drones, right? Where you used to pay 50, 60 grand for something that wouldn't crash. And now you can get one for the holidays for your kids. It's insane. Yeah. I like this point about affordability as well. But going back to limitation, uh, maybe technological plots in terms of fabrication or the material itself and environment. If you can tell us about what could still really challenging for you, um, maybe in different aspects. aspects. Yeah, I think there's... There's two fields. I mean, I'm a mechatronics person. That's my specialty. So building the thing. And I used to talk to a lot of prospective students about, oh, I want to be a mechanical engineer. I want to be an electrical engineer. A lot of times they'd be like, I want to build robots. So I'm going to be a roboticist. And I had to be like, hold on, put the brakes on. Roboticists are really smart and really good mathematicians. And, you know, they figure out where you are and how you path plan and perception and computer vision. But for the most part, they don't build the robot. If you want to build the robot, you want to be a mechatronics person. So, I've, you know, I'm more on the building side. So I think I can talk to from the construction side of the, the robot. For us, a big thing is um, how you, you know, the motors, the gearboxes, the circuitry. Um, you know, we take a very affordable perspective to it where kind of looking at what are going to be mass producible systems rather than what would be the easy way with an off-the-shelf solution that, you know, maybe this motor and gearbox cost 500 bucks. Well, if I need a $500 gearbox in every link to make it work, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to mass produce that. So I think for us, really, it was how do you come up with an architecture that, well, it still needs some refinement from our you know, minimum viable prototype to thousands of units a month. It has the potential to be able to do that. Uh, right. Like as, as good as SpaceX is at recycling, they're better than NASA, but they're not Ford. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's the difference. And so I think that's the hardware side and hardware is hard. Um, I think one of the things that people discount when you write code and you write code on a Dell laptop, well, you can pay, um, pretty much guarantee maybe we'll, we'll pick apple because apple's more robust or something i don't know but it's probably your code if it doesn't work not their processor well when i'm doing this embedded development is it my code is it my circuit is it both is it neither so there's a lot of uh, chasing your tail in, in development because there's a lot of variables even in the simplest debugging and then i think the other side of it is the software side, is the robotics. And I'd like to think that I and, and we as a company take a very practical view of the robotics industry. Um, my, my newest joke is, have you seen a self-driving car? No, you haven't. <laughs> You've seen, you know, cars that can do okay. You've seen cars with engineers in them. We've come close, but we're not a self-driving car any yet. And it's because it's a robotics problem and it's a dang tough one. And then even there, can we drive in the snow? Can we do things like that? And there's a lot of uh, society and technology of how do humans drive in a blizzard? We guess and check. How does society feel about robots guessing and checking? They're not okay with that, right? So there's things like that that we have to address. So as a company, we recognize that everybody and their cousin are trying to solve some of these huge robotics problems, visual slam, you know, how, how can we use cameras to figure out where we're at? And, um, you know, 
machine learning based path planning and all of these sort of things that self-driving cars need and uh, quadrupedic robots and uh, uh, drones. So all these companies are working on those problems. Great. Let them work on them. So if we can be very practical, and that's where this notion of three to five links on a pole operated by a human kind of just getting shoved in a steerable scope as our minimum viable product, that's trying to distill the problem to close to where we think technology is today. And then as technology advances, be able to roll those functionalities in. You know, I, I, I joke that you have all these companies rolling the stuff in. Well, all the students who are working on it in a couple of years are going to publish their dissertations on how they made it work. So we can learn from that, you know? So yeah. I think that not to say, hey, please keep pushing the state of the art, but for a small startup like us, it would be very easy to get trapped into trying to bite off more than we can chew on the, on the software and robotics development. Mm -hmm. That's also a great point.